Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. First week of the summer holidays, which means last week was my first last week of school. And the final three weeks were a little strange insofar as I had finished my PGCE, straight after which I became employed in my school, so the same school that I did my training in, but I was yet to start my first year as an early career teacher, which will be from September. So I spent three weeks almost in a limbo state, but the time was spent well because I got to know some of the students and classes that I'll be teaching next year in my first year as an ECT. But last week, the final week of the year, there was no teaching because it was Inspire Week, a week full of different trips and excursions and activities, and admittedly some RSHE sprinkled in there. And I spent Monday to Thursday helping out with Year 7. So on Monday, the Year 7s had some RSHE. RSHE, by the way, is Relationships, Sex and Health Education. And they had a session in the morning on bullying. And then they heard a cautionary tale about being groomed by gangs. But then in the afternoon, they had a mini graduation ceremony where they graduated from their first year of secondary school. Year seven in my school is seen as a transition from primary to secondary. So all of their lessons are within one part of the school called the bridge, where teachers come to them rather than the students having to disperse throughout the entire site and find where they need to have their lessons. And the idea is that that eases the transition from primary to secondary school. And so this area known as the bridge, they were graduating on Monday afternoon from the bridge. They had a graduation ceremony. And the idea behind this graduation ceremony is one of aspirations. So my head teacher's motto at the moment is that students can't aspire to something that they don't know about. So in order for them, say, to aspire to go to university and to become a graduate, they need to know what going to university and being a graduate is all about. And that's part of the reason behind giving them a graduation ceremony at this early stage, where they each get to wear one of those graduation caps, have their name called in turn, 
walk across a stage and, and collect a certificate. And parents are invited and it was a nice afternoon. On Tuesday, so I should mention also that on Monday and Tuesday, we had the hottest weather in the UK in recorded history. It was high 30s and low 40s. So the graduation ceremony was good fun, but it was hot. But on Tuesday, it got worse. So on Tuesday, it was even hotter. And I accompanied Year 7 to Conkers, which is an outdoor activity centre. Thankfully, they scratched off the agenda the bushcraft session where the kids would otherwise have been learning how to start fires. I mean, it was so hot on Tuesday that the fires were pretty much starting themselves. So we didn't need that one. And the highlight of the day, I'd say, was the 4D cinema, something which most of the kids hadn't experienced before, and they went wild. So we were watching a short film about an ant, an animated film about an ant going on an adventure in the undergrowth. And at one point there were spiders rushing past and something would tickle their feet. But the biggest screams were reserved for when this ant character got plunged into a river and the cinema sprayed us all in the in the face with water. That was really good fun. Then on Wednesday, we had Sports Day, which my tutor group won. I was very pleased. On Thursday, we went to West Midlands Safari Park, which was good fun, but they seemed to be operating beyond capacity. There were too many cars, too many people, and it took far too long to get round. It took so long, in fact, to get round that when we got to the end, the kids, bless them, cheered. They loved it to begin with. Couldn't have been more excited to see the animals. But two and a half hours later, when it finally came to an end, they cheered their heads off. Bless them. And then on Friday, I wasn't with Year 7, but with Year 9. And that was the last day of the year where we had a celebration assembly. Now, there's nowhere on site large enough to host the entire school, let alone parents as well. So we marched the entire student body, tutor group by tutor group, from the school into town and into a venue that could accommodate all of us. And something I noticed when we were walking to this venue through town was how embedded this school is in the local community. All of the kids who go to my school live within a few miles of the school itself. Many of them live right in the middle of town. Many of them live in the two tower blocks that overlook the school itself. And as we were walking to town, so many kids knew so many people. And so many people in town knew so many kids. They were shouting greetings in all sorts of different languages. And it made me really proud 
to be part of this community-based school. And I thought it stands in stark contrast to the school that I went to. I went to a private school out in the countryside, up on top of an isolated hill. And it had very little, if anything, to do with any local communities. And it's not something that I noticed or thought about at the time. But now, with hindsight, I think that was a real disadvantage when it came to especially character development. I believe that you develop character. And what I mean by that is I think that you become a good person in conjunction with other people becoming good people. You develop character as a community and by serving the community. That's something that my school does brilliantly and I'm very proud to be a part of it. So that was the last week of the year, Inspire Week. Now there's one thing I want to discuss in a little bit more detail because it really intrigued me when it happened. So it was on that Tuesday when we went to Conkers, the outdoor activity centre, that boiling hot day. And it was the end of the day, we were about to set off and come back to school. But before we left, we needed to take a register. Now, the aircon on this coach had been dialed up to 11 and it was very noisy. And as a result, when we were taking the register on the coach, we couldn't really hear whether students were answering or not. So we asked students instead to raise their hand as their name was called. The system worked to begin with, but then one student raised his arm, not because his name had been called, but because he wanted to tinker with the air conditioning settings above his head. I asked him to lower his hand, and he didn't. Instead, he carried on tinkering and said something along the lines of, but I'm too hot, I'm too hot, I need to sort out the aircon. I asked him again, and still he refused. The third time I asked him, I also explained that we were currently taking a register where people were raising their hands, and the fact that he had his hand raised was confusing the count. So I explained this to him, and he immediately lowered his hand, which was great. But it really got me thinking. Why didn't he lower his hand to begin with? Just because I, a teacher, was asking him to lower his hand. Why did I have to give him that explanation? Now, I didn't know this student. I know quite a lot of the Year 7s. I've taught two Year 7 classes this year, but not him. I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. And so some might say that what we lacked in this interaction was a relationship. I don't find that particularly helpful. I find it a bit vague. So perhaps what it was that we lacked was trust. He didn't trust me when I asked him to lower his hand. 
but I still think that's a bit vague. I think we can do better. Now, often when we talk about trusting other people, what we're saying is that we believe those people have our best interests at heart. So if you trusted me, for example, you would believe that I would act in your best interests. Or at the very least, I wouldn't knowingly act against your best interests. I would never act in a way that could potentially harm you. That's what we mean when we usually talk about trust. But that sort of trust, which I would like to call moral trust, isn't usually lacking. So we tend to assume that people won't act against our best interests. That's our default assumption. Now, of course, there are some people who have experienced abuse or neglect, and their default assumption may be that people will act against their best interests. But those people are the exception. Most people believe that other people aren't out to get them, that other people don't want to harm them. That's the default position for most people. And so to say that the reason this student didn't lower his hand when I first asked him to was because he didn't trust me, I don't think that quite works as an explanation. First, because his default position, like most people, would likely be that I wasn't out to get him, that I wouldn't act against his best interests. So his default position would have been one of trust in a moral sense. And second, I was only asking him to lower his hand. I wasn't doing something that could potentially bring harm upon him. All I was doing was asking him to lower his hand. So I don't think that it was moral trust that was lacking here. What I think was lacking was something I'd like to call intellectual trust. He missed the explanation to begin with, where students were told to raise their hand in response to their name. He missed it. So he didn't understand the rationale. He didn't know why I was asking him to lower his hand. And therefore he believed that his reason for raising his hand and tinkering with the air conditioning, namely to try and cool himself down, he believed that that reason was the reason he should act on. He couldn't see why I was asking him to lower his hand. But when I explained to him that, no, hang on, you need to lower your hand because you're confusing the count here. We're taking a register where students are raising their hand in response to their name and you're messing it up. OK, so you need to lower your hand. The second he heard that and he could understand the reason behind my instruction, my request, he lowered his hand. So ultimately, he didn't respond to my instruction. He responded to my reason. 
he could see the sense in it once I had explained it to him, and accordingly he lowered his hand. And I think that, as a new teacher, this may be something I have to do quite often. I need to make sure that I explain the reasons behind my instructions. I make them perfectly clear. Because otherwise, students may think that their reasons for not following instructions override my reasons, whatever they are, for issuing the instruction in the first place. Now, if I can do this consistently enough, if I can show students that the reasons behind my instructions and my requests as their teacher, those reasons are good reasons, then slowly over time, I think I'll build that intellectual trust to such an extent that one day, and perhaps it wouldn't take too long, I'll no longer have to explicate the reasons. They'll know from experience that Mr. Brown, he's a reasonable guy. When he asks me to do something, there's usually a good reason for it. So I don't need the reason anymore. And so I just thought this was an interesting experience and really got me thinking about why students follow instructions. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again in relation to this particular observation. We have three innate psychological needs. This comes from self-determination theory in the psychological study of motivation. So self-determination theory states that for someone to be properly motivated to do something, they need to feel competent, they need to believe that they can be successful at whatever it is they're being asked to do. That's the first psychological need. The second one is relatedness. They must feel a sense of belonging. They must feel like they are part of a community where they are valued and whatever it is they are being asked to do is also valued. That's the second psychological need. And the third one, which is especially relevant here, is autonomy or self-determination. They must feel that the reasons for which they are acting are their own. They must feel like their reasons come from within. Okay, So they're not being coerced by fear of punishment or the promise of reward. Those reasons are external to them and come from outside. To be properly motivated, they must feel like their reasons come from within. And so, going back to that interaction on the bus, to begin with, this student felt he had very good reason to keep his hand in the air to try and sort out the aircon on a very hot day. And the only reason he had to lower his hand was that me, a teacher he didn't know, was asking him to do so. That's very much an external reason. But once I explained the rationale behind my request, he immediately saw the sense in it and adopted 
that reason as his own. He internalised it. In the blink of an eye, he went from being antagonistic to perfectly compliant and lowered his hand in a second. Because he's a rational being, he internalised the reason, took ownership for it, could see the sense in it, and immediately acted upon it, and was therefore motivated to lower his hand straight away. So I thought that was a really interesting interaction and worth discussing. Now, like I said, I'm into the first week of my holidays, and what am I doing? So I guess what I'm going to talk about next relates to my mental health. So I think for me, two very important things for my mental health are resting, that is not feeling tired. When I feel tired, my mental health can become a little more precarious. So the summer holiday is a great time to rest. But rest alone doesn't keep me mentally healthy. In fact, too much rest can be quite bad for my mental health. Because what I also need, and what I need more than anything else, is to have a sense of purpose. And so what this means over the summer holidays is that, as well as resting, I'm also trying to keep busy. So I try to do three hours in the morning, three easy hours each morning, where I do something productive. And those things are, I am working through the unit assessments for the maths that I'm going to be teaching next year. I'm working through those unit assessments and completing those unit assessments. That's something that I do for one hour. For another hour, I am teaching myself computer science, which I will also be teaching next year. And for a third and final hour, I am doing some reading ahead of starting my master's in character education next year. So I'm reading a book about character education. And then I have another hour where I kind of do odd jobs, other things that need doing, things that I don't necessarily need to do every day, but still things that need to get done at some point. So yes, I'm making sure I get plenty of sleep. I am resting, but at the same time, I'm keeping busy. And I know we're only two days into the holiday, if you don't count the weekend, but I'm feeling really good. I've kind of settled into a bit of a routine already, and I think I've managed to strike the right balance. The one thing that I am not doing and haven't done really for a while is exercise. I've let that slip. So I'm going to try to reintroduce that over the summer holidays. And something else I'm going to do is release a few episodes of this podcast. Now, I'm not currently in school, obviously. And school usually provides a wealth of things to talk about. So instead, I'm going to do a few episodes which are a bit more abstract, I guess you'd say. A bit more philosophical, if you will. And they're going to be focused on a theme. I want to do an episode on the storytelling structure of lessons. I want to do an episode on the 19th century wood engraving known as flammarion and what that has to do with teaching 
and I want to do an episode where I think about the reasons behind what we teach and the way we teach it. We'll see. I may be being a bit ambitious, but I'd like to get at least those three episodes out over the summer. And maybe some more, we'll see. But anyway, I hope that your summer holidays have gotten off to a wonderful start, and I hope that you are doing whatever it is you need to do to rest and be happy and healthy, and we will talk again soon. Oh, one more thing before you go. Patreon. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support me would to become a patron on Patreon. Now, my only goal on Patreon at the moment is for my creative efforts, this podcast, and also a blog that I hope to start soon. My goal is for them to pay for themselves. So the current monthly cost is £14. I have one monthly patron who's contributing £4.50 a month. I think it might be my mum. And if it is, thank you, mum. But I'd love to get some more patrons so that I could hit that £14 a month goal. So that's just £9.50 more a month that I would like to raise. Now, each one of these episodes, I try to produce two episodes a month. Each episode probably takes two and a half hours to produce. So that's around five hours a month that I spend creating this podcast. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you get something from it, and if you think that for those five hours worth of work, you'd be happy to buy me a coffee once a month, then please consider making the equivalent financial contribution on Patreon and helping me cover the cost of producing this podcast. And you can find a link to my Patreon in the show notes. Thank you for indulging me. And now I really will say goodbye. I'll talk to you again soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MrBrownPod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.